Hello everyone, I'm Alexia Jacques Casanova and you're listening to Do It Different, a podcast by Communicating the Arts in which I talk to artists and leaders from the cultural sector about their professional trajectories, their most successful failures and what they've learned from those. My guest today is the director of the Manchester Museum, an institution that has set itself the goal of becoming the most inclusive, imaginative and caring museum in the world. So we talked for a solid hour and discussed many topics, including the unconditional repatriation of Aboriginal collections. Given the current global context and the Manchester Museum's partial closure as it undergoes a 13 million British pounds transformation, we also spoke about museums finding ways to connect with the audiences while the doors are closed. And my guest team's solution to this challenge included bringing a huge elephant to the busiest train station in Manchester. Let's jump right in. Meet my guest. So um, uh, so my name's Esme, Esme Ward. Um, I am the director of Manchester Museum, which is at the University of Manchester. It's uh, UK's largest university museum. And it's, um, it's kind of an encyclopedic museum. So it's uh, under one roof, you have both natural world and human cultures. Um, uh, we have over four and a half million objects. We are um, in Manchester, a super diverse, hyper diverse city. And I spent over 25 years in museums. Uh, so I'm a museum person through and through, but I spent it particularly focused on museum education and working with communities. Um, uh, and I did that both in museums and art galleries, which is where I, I started in art galleries. Um, uh, so I'd been doing that work and really driven by thinking about who visits our museums, who are they for, what are they for, and really trying to broaden our reach and, and connect to people who maybe haven't had museums as part of their um, childhood or, or growing up or, or, you know, the thing that they do regularly. And um, partly in part because I didn't step foot in the museum until I was 19. So um, when I did, it changed my life, literally. And from that moment, I knew I wanted to work in them. So um, yeah, I also am a, a honorary professor in the university um, for the uh, Heritage Futures. Mm -hmm. So I'm very interested in what the future of museums and heritage uh, looks like and might be. So I, I have that role. And I also have a role within the city region, where I work very closely with public health around aging and challenging the narrative around aging and working with older people in particular, to think about the role of arts and culture within their lives. Um, so that, that's a big part of my work as well. Uh, and around health. So aging and health are those two areas. I finally, because lots of hats, um, I finally am uh, the chair of a, um, a body called the National Alliance um, of Culture, Health and Wellbeing, uh, okay. which is a national body that thinks about supporting the arts individuals to um, really embed culture and the arts as part of their well-being. 
So I wanted to let Esme introduce herself to you, dear listener, but to be perfectly honest, this is not how the interview started. I thought you'd like to hear what happened in the first place, so here comes the actual unedited beginning of our conversation. So yeah, uh, are you are you still you know isolating or how are you guys doing in the UK? Yeah, we're we're doing okay. Um, uh, we are so the museum is closed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we are working from home. I am working from home. Uh, many of my okay. colleagues are working from home. Quite unusually, though, uh, Manchester Museum has a live animal collection. So mm. it has a vivarium. So, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. So actually, colleagues are in every day um, caring for the animals. Oh, my God. Uh, so that's a, a day in, day out. They are um, essential workers, in fact. So, yeah. Um, yeah, though we have uh, incredible uh, amphibians and reptiles, uh, particularly from South America. We do a lot of work, uh, conservation work across South America. So, um, yeah, they're in every day caring for those animals. So we And actually, they broadcast live from the museum every Friday, Frog Friday. Ah, that is so cool. Wait, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down just so I can check it once we're finished with that interview. Frog Friday, this is great. Yeah, which I'll be honest, is one of the highlights of my week. <laughs> so I have bad news and good news for you regarding the amazing Frog Friday broadcasts. Bad news is the series over. The good news is You can watch all 12 episodes on Periscope or on the Manchester Museum website. Frog Friday might be over, but there's a new show in town, Egyptology. In this weekly Periscope broadcast, Dr. Campbell Price, who is curator of Egypt and Sudan at the Manchester Museum, explores iconic objects from the collection and answers ancient Egypt-related questions submitted by viewers. It's on every Thursday at 3pm, Manchester time, of course, and you can tune in to Periscope at MCR Museum to watch it. Okay, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, the que- the question I had uh, was about uh, some of the words that I've seen, uh, for instance, in your bio. Yeah. Um, I've looked up uh, in my research and I and I saw that the Manchester Museum aims to become the UK's most inclusive, imaginative and caring museum. And so I was wondering if you could explain how you define those words, those three words, inclusive, imaginative and caring. Yeah, so um, I, I suppose the easiest way to do it is, is almost think about our commitment to those as values that shape our organisation um, and a lot of work that we've done with staff, with visitors, with those who don't visit um, and what they really mean. So the commitment to inclusion really is about us reflecting the communities we serve. It's about reflecting Manchester Uh, as I mentioned, this hyper-diverse city, over 150 languages spoken in Manchester. Um, uh, We're seeking to be a multilingual museum, but also thinking about being more inclusive and welcoming more widely. 
whether that's in terms of how we work with different ages, whether that's in terms of um, our our narratives in, in, in all our work. So that's the commitment to inclusion, which seems fairly straightforward. Um, the commitment to imagination really speaks to the fact that we are at the heart of a university. Um, research as imaginative act is, um, is hugely powerful. And when I look at our collections, there's such breadth there and richness in these narratives. Really, we should be pretty much the most imaginative place to work in the city. Um, and uh, also, I think we have a real sense, actually, particularly at the moment, that just more imagination and joy in our lives for all of us might be really great. Um, and then finally, a commitment to care. I got really interested in thinking about the notion of care and museums, particularly when I started to do a lot more work around health, because I think in in my world, very often care is, is rightly associated with collections care, how we care for those objects. But of course, the reality in, I think, the world's best museums is that you're not just caring for those collections. You're also caring for people and ideas and relationships. So for me, there's something about how that commitment to care shapes all of our work, our partnerships, as well as the way that we care for those collections. So you've talked about uh, making uh, collection, I mean, ex exhibitions more accessible thanks to uh, languages, using different languages to reflect the reality of Manchester. Uh, can you give other uh, concrete examples of how you might go about with your team, go about creating a more inclusive or more imaginative or more caring institution? Yeah, so um, really, I, I, I'll give an example around the particular, well, I think it is inclusive and imaginative, actually, and it's a bit of a story, so I'll tell it briefly. Um, last year, uh, we had been, as I mentioned, we have an, a, a very large collection of four and a half million objects, but at the moment, my museum is half closed. Uh, well, my museum's fully closed at the moment, but ordinarily we're, we're half closed because we're building a new extension. We're right in the middle of a capital project. Us being half closed actually helps, enables us to do things a little bit differently. So we'd been talking about all of our collections that weren't on show, that weren't available for people at the moment, um, that were in stores. And what would it look like if we uh, essentially liberated those collections, if we took them out to new places to find new meaning, relevance, new visitors? What would that look like and, and what might we unlock? And uh, we have a really extraordinary, huge Asian elephant um, skeleton. It's a skeleton called Maharaja. And when Maharaja wasn't just bones, when Maharaja was living in the 1850s, he was um, up in Edinburgh in Scotland and he was bought by a zookeeper in Manchester. And the idea was to pop uh, Maharaja on the train and send him from Edinburgh down to Manchester. Um, and then he could live out the rest of his life in this zoo in Manchester. Except Maharaja didn't want to go on the train and he tore the roof off the train and they had to walk Maharaja from Edinburgh to Manchester. It took them 10 days. It was front page news. It's a wonderful story. There are paintings and images and it was the elephant that walked to Manchester. 
So the reason I mention all of this is when we were talking about us being really imaginative and doing things differently, we thought, well, why don't we finally take Maharaja to that train station? So we, um, we, we essentially did just that. We installed Maharaja, this huge elephant skeleton, in the middle, slap bang in the middle of Manchester's busiest train station, Piccadilly, uh, for three weeks. A member of staff was with him every day. And literally thousands and thousands, I think about half a million commuters and, and others were stopped in their tracks as they got off the train and they encountered an Asian elephant skeleton in the middle of Manchester Piccadilly train station. And we told the story of Maharaja, but we also raised the plight of the Asian elephant, which is uh, particularly at risk at the moment. So it was just thinking about if we're imaginative who says you can't have an elephant in a train station? Why, why can't you do that? And we've met so many people who knew Maharaja. We met the great granddaughter of Lorenzo, the uh, zookeeper who had walked with him from Edinburgh down to Manchester, who just happened to be wandering through the middle of Piccadilly. And I love those moments. So um, I think just being much more imaginative with our collections, taking them to new people. I love this. <laughs> this is such a great story. Oh my God. That's amazing. Are, are they making a film yet about this whole thing? This, <laughs> this is great. There's a, there's a great children's book by a, an artist called Oliver East called The Elephant That Walked to Manchester. And, you know, we had so much fun. We did, um, we, we did a really fun social media campaign. It went completely viral. We did the film of the technicians installing the elephant because it had to be installed between midnight and five in the morning because obviously the train station's really busy. Um, so we did a um, time-lapse film of them installing Maharaja, which is really wonderful. Um, and I, I love things like this because on the face of it, there were so many reasons not to do it. You know, I didn't realise pigeon pigeon poo is one of the most corrosive materials going. So we had to do these really strange risk assessments. And, you know, it was it was a brilliant experience for all of us. And every single member of staff in the museum, me included, did a stint, stood by Maharaja, just chatting to the public about what the heck is, a is an elephant doing in the middle of their train station. That is one of the best museum stories I've ever heard. Uh, it's great. Did you did you guys have any um, way of tracking if people who 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 saw the elephant in the train station were later uh, coming to the museum? Well, really interestingly, so um, much to our regret, we didn't, and we really kicked ourselves. I think we got so carried away with the idea of it, we didn't. We we did lots of other follow-up things. So this is part of a broader program at the museum called Liberation. So we actually, we have a lot of our collections out and about all over the city. We slightly did this uh, question, which was, you know, what if actually Manchester became our museum? 
So we have Shabti figures, these beautiful ancient Egyptian figurines, um, servant figurines. We have them all over schools in Manchester. It's called Shabtis in Schools. We had a huge, massive Indian peacock in the middle of a South Asian restaurant in the middle of Manchester. Um, we had uh, tigers in libraries. You know, we, we, we decided that we would really start to play around with how can your collections go and find new narratives, new meaning, new relevance? What might we learn? And then we did a, we did a really fun campaign, which was asking people for their suggestions of what they wanted to see and where in the city. And that, that was great. So we did see an upsurge in visitors um, after that because it, it really raised the profile of the museum. But it was also, we're really conscious that we are only half open at the moment. So we can't have all the visitors we normally have. So we really wanted to do something that took our collections to people. Last summer, Esme Wards had a pretty serious biking accident in which she broke her leg. She had to spend quite a lot of time at home, six weeks to be precise, and she had to learn to work differently and remotely, which turned out to be a real challenge for this hands-on director. She didn't know at the time that this complicated six weeks would be a great training for what came up in 2020, aka the coronavirus lockdown. During the first weeks of lockdown, I, I noticed, and I was not the only one, that there were two kinds of museums, or cultural institutions for that matter. Those who immediately started creating tons of contents and sharing it on multiple platforms, sometimes to the point that it seemed they were more desperate to show they still existed, rather than actually concerned with whether or not they were serving their audience. And then there were the other institutions, those who took this lockdown as an opportunity to pause, to reflect, clean up, rest, start anew, etc. As I talked with Esme Ward, I sensed that the Manchester Museum was one of the very rare institutions that managed to do both. I was curious to know what Esme had told her team when the museum shut down and everyone was asked to stay home. Do nothing for a week. Just do nothing. Just sort out the corner of the kitchen that needs to become an office or, you know, spend time with your family. Do whatever you need to do. Just just pause. Don't 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 do any more then we'll start to think about what it means. And I, I absolutely think it's an and and and. So I had people chomping at the bit saying, I, I've got to, I really want to work on, on, on our digital work. I, I want to really shape this. I want to do this. And, and that was really important for their sense of themselves and purpose. And I think played a really important role. And I had others who just say, I, 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 I don't think I can do anything. And I just think the most important thing always is just be kind. <gasps> you know, it's fine. For some people will sprint. Some won't even have got out the chair. And um, I think at moments like this, it's human first. 
you know, we're all people, we all respond differently. Um, you know, one minute somebody can be up, the next minute they can be down. And I think let's just accept it. So I, I for one, I wasn't pressurizing anybody to be delivering on this, this, this. I actually wanted to take a bit of time and see what emerged. Um, I was surprised by the energy that sat behind the digital. Um, that slightly caught me off guard. It surprised me. Um, but I can see how that was really important for a lot of people and I think has really helped them. So, I, yeah, I think we just we all just need to be kind to ourselves. Um, and we also had a whole host of people who needed to do something for the many communities and partners we work with. So we've done quite a few things that have been very hidden from the world, uh, which I think is right. So we've been distributing care packs um, uh, for Easter. We distributed a whole host of beautiful kind of Easter presents and packs for with families, vulnerable families, particularly those who, uh, who are at risk of homelessness, who we work with anyway. Uh, we're currently working on 22,000 care packs to be distributed to socially isolated older people across Greater Manchester in partnership with the ageing partners across the city. So those were about us being useful. So I, I, I think it's, it's sort of it's different tempos for different people. And, you know, we're a broad church. I think it's important we've got all of those. Absolutely. That's... Um... Very impressive how much work you guys have, have done. How, how many people are working at the Manchester Museum? So we have um, just under 80 staff um, and uh, around 200 volunteers who we're connecting to volunteers. We're keeping them engaged, but they're not really working with us as such. Although it must be said, we have a, um, a kind of citizen science program, uh, which we've been running for a while which has just gone through the roof digitally, where you can go on and you can help transcribe slides and uh, upload information digitally about collections, sort of like micro-volunteering digitally. Uh, that is a project called Nature's Library. So if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know I have a favourite question to ask our guests. So I asked Esme Ward what was her most successful failure, also known as the failure from which we learn most. And well, her answer did not disappoint. Probably the failure I learned most from was quite a long time ago, actually, but it really stays with me. So I was working in a wonderful gallery uh, in Manchester called the Whitworth. I was very involved in transforming the Whitworth. And it was in this beautiful, beautiful park. And on the other side of the park was a huge secondary school. Uh, and I was working on this massive transformation of the Whitworth. And I'd got funding to essentially create almost a yellow brick road from the, from the, from the school to uh, the gallery for all those students, some lovely public art projects. And uh, I skipped over to the school and I had a meeting with the head teacher and I went in and I spoke to this head teacher about, oh, it's great, I've got this. So your students, they can come, they can come to the gallery. We can work with the students on this public art project. What an amazing opportunity. And this head teacher, I remember it, uh, I'm cringing as I say it, looked at me, folded his arms and said, um, nah, 
no, thank you, no. And uh, he said, very good to meet you, though. Good luck with your project. And I just remember being mortified and thinking, but, 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 but. And I realized I was an absolute idiot. So I asked him, hugely embarrassed, could I leave the room and try again? (laughs) So I, very embarrassed, left the room and I knocked on the door and I went back in and I asked the question I should have asked in the first place, which is I should have introduced myself and I should have asked him, what do you care about? (laughs) What matters to you? What do you need? And I didn't. I just went straight in with some solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Um, And actually, I didn't take time and care to understand the world from his perspective, to understand the needs of those students, of those teachers. And we never did build that ridiculous yellow brick road. We worked on an incredible commercial project with those students where they used all of the earth that the diggers had dug up at the gallery and they did their own amazing jewellery line that we sold in our gallery shop because they were an enterprise academy. (laughs) So for me, it was such a clear lesson in just ask the right question, learn what people care about, take time, properly listen, (laughs) and then listen some more uh, and work together on what you need to do. Don't go in with a fait accompli. Be curious. Care about what people are up to. You know, I I did a secondment and I joined the public health team in the city for nine months. I became part of public health, looking at the role of arts and culture in public health and what that how arts and culture could be embedded within the population health plan. I learned more in that nine months about how you work and really start to understand the needs of communities than I have in probably all the time I've worked in museums. Um, And I've taken a lot of that into my work at the museum, Manchester Museum, because the minute you do that, you start to think really differently. You build a different kind of relationship with people. Our galleries now that we're working on, they're they're being co-produced we have all of we have a collective 30 brilliant people all of south asian heritage helping us build our south asia gallery we've done things we've never imagined we hosted an iftar in the museum it was wonderful we should have been doing one this week for ramadan it kills me that we're not but we did that in the middle of the museum because we've got to know all these different people and communities and we understood what an iftar meant And my museum's mission is to build understanding between cultures in a sustainable world. Probably hosting an iftar open to all faiths and none is one of the most effective things we've done towards our mission in the last two years. But we would never have got there if we hadn't started to get to know people properly on their terms, not ours. Um, I I read on your uh, website that since last November, the Manchester Museum has started the process of unconditionally returning 43 items to four Aboriginal communities from Australia. And so I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about this initiative and maybe if you have any advice or practical tips 
to other museums who want to follow the same path? Yeah. So this for me has probably been the most extraordinary experience of my uh, professional life in museums. Um, So when I started, so I've been in post as director for just over two years. Pretty soon after I started, a request came into the museum from an organisation called AAPSIS, which stands for the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies. Um, And they are an incredible organisation who, as part of the Captain Cook commemoration, the Australian government gifted AAPSIS money to look at how it could return cultural heritage back to communities of origin, i.e. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. And what they'd done in AATSIS is they had spent a lot of time identifying collections all over the world, including the UK, where there were items which may be able to be repatriated. And so they got in touch with us to say, we think you have items in your collection that were taken from um, from Australia, and um, we would be very interested in starting to talk to you about a process of return, or at least starting to build a relationship with you. And so, over uh, eighteen months, um, we decided that this was absolutely the right thing to do. If we're thinking about care for people and ideas and relationships, as well as our collections. We're an international museum. Could we find a different way of working internationally with these partners and communities of origin? Uh, I was very supportive from day one, uh, and it went to our board, uh, the Global Leadership Board at the university, who really unanimous support for it, partly because I think we're in a university context that is thinking about the next generation of students as global citizens, I'm in a university that, as well as teaching and research, is interested in what it means to be socially responsible. And they're thinking about social responsibility more widely. Uh, And also, we wanted to do this as the start of something. So, so often when people talk about repatriation, it's framed in, in, in thinking about it as a loss. And that is so far from my experience of of this process it really is the start of something and you gain so much more than you lose. These collections that Esme Ward is referring to were unconditionally repatriated, which means that there were no demands on those owners about how to display those collections. And as Esme Ward pointed out to me, the owners of those objects actually, and quite rightly, don't call them collections. By the way, these collections are not human remains, but secret and sacred objects. The museum has been repatriating human remains for a long time now. Esme Ward and her team sees the repatriation process as a new and different way for museums to think about their global connectedness. Often museums can be quite transactional 
in terms of how they work internationally. You know, you can tour an exhibition, you, you know, you can exchange some skills. It can feel quite transactional. And I'm very, and we, we do that as well, of course. But I am very interested in how we build um, an approach that's a bit more relational, that starts to think very differently. We're looking now at how we bring new perspectives to the display of our collections. So we'll work, we'll work with AATSIS on the redisplay of our ethnographic collection from Australia and uh, the Torres Strait. They'll be working with us. We'll have Indigenous perspectives at the heart of those redisplays, as well as the uh, repatriated collections now revitalised within their communities across Australia. Environmental action has become a big focus for the Manchester Museum. Through their programs and collections, they're striving to support new thinking about ecology, assess the current situation and imagine what can be done for a more sustainable future. The Manchester Museum just launched a new initiative, actually. It's called Culture Takes Action, which is also a hashtag, and through which they share their actions, which include foregrounding Indigenous perspectives, reimagining education for future survival, and producing a register of green practitioners across Manchester. We're reaching the end of this episode. As always, here are the key learnings I got from this great conversation. Number one, get to know people on their terms, not yours. Don't walk into a partnership opportunity with preconceptions and fait accompli. Start with questions, not solutions. Ask, what do you care about? What do you need? Take time and care to understand the world from your audience's perspective. Number two, don't think about repatriation as a loss. Repatriation is a start of something new, of a long-term relationship, of new understanding, new ways of considering our global connectedness. Number three, accept the fact that as humans, we all respond differently to the same events. Be kind to yourself. And if you're leading a team, ensure that you support each and every member of that team towards what makes sense for them, whether it's resting or working twice as hard or switching the energy to a whole different set of activities than the ones they usually deal with. And um, if you wish to know more about the Manchester Museum, you can find them online at museum.manchester.ac.uk or on Twitter at MCR Museum. And Esme Ward is also there at Ward underscore Esme. This podcast is brought to you by Communicating the Arts, a global network of cultural leaders who gather three times a year in Europe, North America and the Pacific. You can tweet at us using the Do It Different hashtag or the Communicating the Arts hashtag. This show is hosted and produced by me for Communicating the Arts. It is mixed and edited by Kevin Kelly, who also wrote and performed our theme song. If you like what you heard, subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, 
Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts and take a few seconds to rate our show so that more people can find it and enjoy it. Thanks a lot for spending some time with us. We'll be back very soon with a brand new episode.